Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Steve Taboo. Hope. That's what we're talking about today. Where do we get hope from? Well, as they said, that coming out of Romans, God is the source of all hope. And I believe that. I believe that with all my heart, my heart, my soul, my mind, that that's where hope springs out of. The fact that this world is not the end game. It's just a launching pad. Seems like I've been doing more funerals the last two months than I've done in a long time. And the, the great joy that can come with that is when you know that person knew the Lord, and you can say to all their families and loved ones, it's not a goodbye, it's see you later. Because it's so true. And the longer you live on this earth, the more you realize how quickly time passes and the more you begin to realize what really is important is the eternal. As I had a friend just this past week have to go to the hospital for a heart attack and face that understanding that we are mortal. This life is short. But we can have hope no matter what we're going through because of who he is. Now, Advent, just out of curiosity, how many of you in here grew up in the church tradition that you celebrated Advent? Anybody? Okay, only about a fourth, okay? I I didn't grow up in a church tradition that celebrated Advent. Uh, I had heard about Advent. But then several years ago, as we started talking about the importance of this season and, and keeping our focus on Christ, instead of just the hustle and the bustle, uh, we started saying, what if we'd start doing Advent? Advent's four weeks. It's been going on for 1,600 years, but it's not just about the expectation and the celebration of the birth of Christ. It is actually also pointing us to eternity and the joy and the hope and the love and the peace that comes from knowing that this world is not our home and that eternity is our true home with the Lord. And so as we go through these next four weeks, we hope you'll join us all four weeks as we look at hope, joy, peace, and love, as we look at how that applies to everyday life and not just this season. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip over with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to start. We're reading through the the New Testament together now as we've finished the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament uh, page 906 of the Burgundy Bible, if you got the Burgundy Bible. In Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 36 and go through verse uh, 40. We'll go through 41 and start with. He says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, to your children, those far away, all who have been called by the name, by the Lord of our our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging. Now, let me pause here. See, it's biblical to preach for a long time. Did you see that? 
I, I just want you to know that. See, it says right there, Peter preached for a long time. Just didn't want you to think this little short thing was his whole message. All right. Uh, he continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Let's keep going to, 40, uh, to the end of the chapter. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day, met in homes at the Lord, uh, for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's go, Lord, in prayer, and let's ask God for this understanding of this hope that he has to offer. Lord, we got a lot of craziness going on in our world today, and we need your hope, hope that can only be understood in light of eternity, hope that can be only understood apart from our present circumstances, hope that comes in you, from you, and Lord, I just come, and I just ask that today, everybody in this room, Lord, will walk out understanding more about your hope than ever before. And they'll walk in that hope this evening. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, the first thing, if you got your listening guide there, uh, the first thing on your listening guide is that the hope is in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope comes from. And each one of us can have that hope. It's all available to us, right? And as we look at this passage, just know it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Meaning what we read happened after people followed Christ is not what has to happen today. We don't have a temple. We don't uh, necessarily meet together every day, although we have people here every day pretty much all throughout the week doing Bible studies or, or uh, classes and that kind of thing. But it's global. It's global. What God does is global in, in each and every one of us, and he takes and he puts it in us, and we carry it out, and it's the overflow. I love what it says there in Romans 15, the passage that was read earlier, how then the overflow of that hope, and that's the goal, is that the hope is in us so much that it overflows wherever we live, wherever we work, and wherever we play. Now, in this passage, let's just look at some of the things that are central to what they were doing and see how that might apply to us. The outward expression was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we don't have the apostles with us today, okay, but we have their teaching. And so we can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We can read and study and ask God to apply it to our hearts because it's available to us today. He, he gives us this teaching that we can know that we know that we know what the Lord would want us to do each and every day. And then they, they partner together in fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, I think we all had this fellowship thing down pat for Thanksgiving. Amen? Anybody go back for seconds of turkey and gravy? Anybody? All right. I, I'm fine with that. I think it's a good idea. You know, I was eating a, a chocolate donut one time and had somebody say to me, he said, Pastor, is it okay for a pastor to be eating a chocolate donut? Isn't that sinful? I was 
Like, didn't you dare call what God made perfect sin, right? I mean, God created chocolate. You know, he created sugar. And man figured out how to put them both together. Now, if I eat a whole box of donuts, okay, that may be a little over the top. But, you know, one chocolate donut with a nice cup of coffee, pretty sweet in my book, right? And God encourages us to fellowship, to have a relationship together, to do this together. I, I don't believe church is just supposed to be Sunday morning. God intended the church to be the family of God, that we are partnering together every day, that we are doing things together, that we are doing life together. And these were the things that our life groups do. It talks about fellowship, the breaking of bread together, the eating, uh, and the prayer. All things that our, our life groups do. I, I encourage you, midweek, find a place that you have that group of people that, man, you can pray with, encourage, and walk out your faith together. And then we see uh, they, they did supernatural acts. The apostles got to do supernatural things. Now, that's pretty awesome. I wish I could have been there. I mean, it said in one place that people would lay their family members, their sick family members on the side of the road just hoping that Peter's shadow would touch them. Now, that's some serious healing power, amen? Now, I'm not calling anybody by name, but a lot of these faith healers, they want to gather people together in the Colosseum and display their quote-unquote gift of healing when there's hospitals full of children that need healing. And you see Jesus, he, he didn't do this to collect an offering. He just walked through towns and healed people. I, I don't see the gift of healing as it was in that time today, but I do see that God still heals as we talk about God healing. Uh, I've prayed for folks with cancer, and I've prayed uh, and seen them healed, and I've prayed for folks with cancer and not seen them healed. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but, but the first thing I want you to see is that these folks, they prayed together, and they got to see God do supernatural things. Stuff that uh, definitely fired up the believers and encouraged them to go and take this gospel to all the world. But then all the believers shared everything in common. And I've heard people say that you can't do this anymore. I've heard people say, you know, that's not, that's not feasible. And yes, I would agree that if we all took our stuff and sold it and tried to live in an apartment complex, I don't think that's what he's advocating. What I believe he's advocating and what they were doing was saying, Lord, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And my car is yours. My home is yours. My bank account is yours. My, my giftings, my personality, my talents, all this is yours, Lord. And at any time you call me to share that, it's yours. At any time you call me to give, it's yours. Because it's yours. It's not mine. Now, if I was to, let's say, pick on my friend Michael Kilgore over here and say, Michael, you got 100 bucks I could borrow. And, and let's, say, let's just say Michael had $100. He's, it's burning a hole in his pocket. And he came to me and said, Pastor, I got this extra money. You know, I'm just rolling into these days. And, and, and I'd like to give you $100 because I know you come across people all the time that are hurting. So I'm going to give you $100. And anytime somebody needs money, you just, you just give it to them. And if they... If you run out of that money, just come back to me for more. Well, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? You get to play with Michael's money. So then later on that week, somebody calls you and says, man, I'm struggling. Uh, you know, I lost my job. I hate to bother you, but is there any way that you could help us out with some groceries? Say, how about 100 bucks worth of groceries? 
They say, well, that'd be great. Drop it off and go back to Michael. Hey, Michael, I gave that 100 bucks away. Can I have more? Certainly, I told you you could. Doesn't that sound like fun? That's what God tells us he does. He puts money in our pocket to do his will. He puts money in our pocket so that we can love others, serve others, make an impact in this world. And when we run out, if we're doing what God wants, he puts more in there. Now, it usually comes from hard work. That's the part sometimes a little more difficult, right? But he is the one that blesses us, and he calls us to share. And I believe we're still called today to share what we have to make an impact in this world today. So they shared. They had everything in common. And then uh, every day they met in temple courts. Now, was that everybody? I don't think so because there were over 3,000 of them already, right? That, that was uh, a lot of folks that would not fit in the temple courts all at once. So probably what it was all throughout the week, much like here, I mean, we have uh, like groups that meet on Monday nights, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights. I don't think we got anybody meeting on Friday nights right now, but Sunday nights and maybe Saturday nights. So we got people meeting all the time because the church is not a building. Amen? Okay, the church is the people. You are the church. So wherever you're at, live, work, play, study, pray, worship, fellowship, the gospel. The good news of Christ is going forward. That's where our hope is, is in him. And then they broke bread in homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God all the time. That is the overflow of the hope of Christ. That is the overflow of when we follow Christ and do what he calls us to do. Now, we live in a day today that needs hope. Anybody agree with me on that? If we look at the circumstances and where we're at in the world today, we need hope. And the hope only comes from the source of all hope, and that's God. Now, could you imagine living in a world where there was no faith in God, no belief in the afterlife? I've counseled with families at funerals where they didn't believe in heaven or hell. They didn't believe in the afterlife. And in their opinion, once you die, you die. You'll never meet or be a part of a more depressing funeral than if you're ever a part of one of those. Because hope is gone. But in Christ Jesus, we have hope that this world is not our final resting place. Christ was so confident of it that he told his disciples, you will suffer and you will die, but take heart. The hope is in eternity. Last week or the week before, we were talking about how they went out by two by twos, and they saw God do amazing things, do miracles through them, and demons cast out, and, and people healed, and Jesus said, but don't take excitement and, and joy in that, because take joy in the fact your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, because that's what we know gives us confidence past this world. That's what gives us the freedom to be bold and courageous in our faith and to walk it out and to seek a higher purpose than just filling our own selves with what we like to do. Well, so that's the first thing. Second, I'm actually going to switch it on you. So if you got your listening guide, I'm going to mess with your listening guide a little bit. Drop down to number three, okay? Number three is there's hope for everyone. There is hope for everyone. This good news is for every person. 
every tribe and tongue. Now, let me say, I, I believe the church, a lot of the church, a large percentage of the church in America got this wrong for generations. I don't know how you read the Bible and justify racism, slavery. I don't know. You have to rip out significant parts of the New Testament where the Bible over and over again says this good news is for all people and that we're all created in the image of God. But I had the privilege of going to the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis about a week ago and walking through and, and seeing the story of the courageous individual that stood up against the evil. And because they wanted something better for their children, were willing to sacrifice their own lives in order to see accomplished what is true and right, that the kingdom of God may come on earth as it is in heaven for all nationalities, all races, and all peoples. And when we pursue that, it is a testimony to the world. Because racism is global. If anybody tells you America's racist, listen, you just need to travel overseas. Racism is global. Because it's sin. And sin is global. And apart from Christ, we don't experience the beauty that God has of a nation, a people, a church, where every color, every tribe, every nationality, every language is welcomed and celebrated as part of the family of God. We had a blessing this last uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, we have a Russian student that lives with us, and we get to meet people from all over the world. We love having internationals in our home anyway, but this, this week we got to have somebody from, let's see, Romania, Russia, Japan, El Salvador, and Egypt, all in two days celebrating uh, Thanksgiving with us. So amazing to hear stories of how God's at work all over the world. And it's also awesome to get to share the hope that we have in Christ Jesus to those who do not yet have that hope. And what we need to recognize, though, is it was always the intention this good news would be for God. Matter of fact, from the time of Genesis all the way through, yes, he had the Jews as his chosen people, but have you ever heard of the book called Jonah? Anybody heard of the book of Jonah? Remember the guy that got swallowed by a great big fish? His name was Jonah, okay? Jonah was a Jew that God called to send to a non-Jewish nation and preached the hope and the forgiveness of God, and Jonah didn't want to go, so he tried to run the other way, so God basically captured him, brought him back, and he went and he preached, and then that whole city turned around and turned to God. You see, God always cared for all the nations. That's always been a part of his plan. And now, more so than ever, we have the opportunity and the freedom to see this good news go to all the nations. It starts at home in Cookville, Tennessee. It starts with your next-door neighbors, people in your college classes, people in your high school classes, people that you work with. It starts at home and goes global because it's good news. It's for everybody. Turn to page 918 or, or Acts 13, Acts 13, verses 42 to 52. 
We'll be in Acts the whole time. So if you want to just maybe put a little note there so you can jump back and forth. In Acts 13, 42 to 52, it says, And Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day. Now, they were leaders of the early church when they went from city to city preaching about Jesus. So they left that day, and the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. So this was a good sermon they're preaching, right? I mean, it'd be awesome in one way, like we preach this week, and then next week, all of Cookville showed up. I mean, that'd be great. Uh, be awesome. That, that's what was happening there. And the following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of the Lord to you Jews, but since you rejected it and judged yourself unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us his command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. Let me pause there. That passage is out of Isaiah, okay? So again, the plan was always that this good news of God would be to all the nations. That's out of Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament. Then 48 and 49, when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers, so the Lord's message spread throughout the region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust off their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium, and the believers were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Wow, what an amazing time to be there, huh? You see that guy? I mean, I, I, I preached a pretty good message, I think, but nobody's ever run me out of town, so I'm thankful for that, right? Uh, but Paul preached such a message that, man, the, the religious people got all jealous. Now, for those of us that aren't real big fans of denominational arguings and fussings, at least, you know, we've never had a, one church run another church out of town that I know of, okay? So here this situation is. The hope that Paul is declaring is for everyone. Say with me, everyone. Everyone. Say it again. Everyone. Is it for everyone? Yes, it's for everybody. Every nationality. Every people group. Even your crazy Uncle Fred, your difficult next-door neighbor, your professor that you think has lost his marbles, your students that you think have no marbles, <laughs> right? This good news is for everybody, and that's good news to you and to I, because I would guess if we took a, took a poll, there's probably... In this whole room, one or two pure Jews in this room. And the rest of us get in on the coattails after this story. So thankful for that. And it's important to note that. Well, third thing, Acts chapter 12. Go to Acts chapter 12. Oh, wait, let me, let me, 
this is kind of the third thing, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 17. This is the hard part. So this message of salvation is for everybody, right? Y'all see that? The message of salvation is for everybody. But here's the hard part. Not everybody gets all their prayers answered the same way. Have you ever noticed that? This is the hard part. And I think we've got to address this if we're going to address hope. Every week we have a prayer list. And pretty much every week we have somebody dealing with cancer. Pretty much every week we have somebody in the hospital dealing with a sickness that's about to kill them. Pretty much every week we have somebody dealing with marital brokenness. Someone dealing with a a rebellious family member that's raging away from God. And every week we pray with the same earnestness for each person. And we see some get answered the way we're praying they will for physical healing. And we see some that get answered the way we don't want them to through death and eternity with Christ. It's hard. The disciples were no strangers to this. Don't think that just because somebody's a preacher or somebody's a Christian that they are not going to deal with it. Look at Acts chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. It says, About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James... John's brother, okay? Now, this is one of the big three. You got James, John, and Peter, right, that were Jesus' closest three. This is early on in the life of the church. King Agrippa had the apostle James killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Now, pause there for a second. Do you think the church prayed earnestly for James that just got killed? I believe so. They're also praying earnestly for Peter. Let's see if he gets the same response. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals, and he did. Now put your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time, this is kind of funny, but all the time thought he was a, it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. And he came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and for what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. Let's just pause there. So we got two guys. Both loved by God, right? One guy 
James is arrested and immediately killed with the sword. The other guy, Peter, is arrested, and God sends an angel who supernaturally releases his chains. He's literally chained to two guys. So you talk about escaping, it's physically impossible, except for a, a total supernatural miracle. The chains fall off. The angel walks him through all the guards without being seen, opens the gate supernaturally, and says, go, you're free. Wow, what an amazing moment for the church, wouldn't it? I mean, if something that miraculous happened, we would all rejoice. Except what about James's mom and dad? What if they lived next door to Peter's mom and dad? And James's mom and dad have been mourning the loss of their son. And then all of a sudden they hear that Peter's mom and dad are dancing in the streets because their son has been set free. Does that stink or what? And you've been in that situation where you've prayed and you've asked the Lord. You've called out to God for something. You've sought him and you said, Lord, if you would just heal my child. You sought the Lord and said, Lord, if you'll just heal my marriage. You sought the Lord and said, Lord, if you will just heal my cancer. And you have cried out to him and you have wept before the Lord. And the answer was no. And then somebody right next to you, their answer was yes. And it hurts. Amen? I had somebody that I've been praying for for something for a long time. Somebody close to me. And the Lord had an answer. It's been a no. And then I bump into somebody that I literally prayed for a month and a half ago. I bumped into him at Academy this week. And he pulled me aside and he was so excited. Because on one moment, I prayed for him for about one minute, specifically for the thing he asked prayer for. The same thing I prayed for this other person for months. And the Lord answered his prayer. And he was celebrating with great joy that God had done a miracle in his life. And I'm celebrating with him on one hand, and I am broken on the other hand because the Lord hasn't answered my other prayer. Guys, this is a part. This is a part of our faith. Please hear this. This is real faith. This is where you've got to walk it out and go, because my hope is not in this body, and my hope is not in this world. That is how I can still find joy because my hope is in the promise of eternity. My hope is in the promise that one day all will be healed. My hope is in the fact that this world is only temporary and sometimes it's going to be a painful season. But we can always walk through it knowing that the hope is that in the end, when we reach heaven, all things will be made new. And Christ will rule in a world without sin and pain and sorrow. And for some of you, you need to hear that today. You need to know that is the hope that we lean on. It's not on the temporary. And I, I don't get it. Listen, and I have prayed for so many people. And, uh, but when it doesn't happen 
for your own family, when it doesn't happen in your own life, and you see it happening around you, you've got to put your hope in eternity and know that our Father is a good, good Father. And the good news is real, and the good news is eternal. And that is where our hope is. And the last thing, which is actually your number two on your paper there, is there is hope for you. There is nobody too far from the love of God. Nobody that you know, nobody that you've met, nobody that you've seen on TV, there is nobody too far from the love of God. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. It says, meanwhile, Saul, who was Saul? Saul was a young man that was a passionate follower of the Jewish faith, but hated Christianity because he thought that Jesus was a false Messiah. And so he was at the stoning, the, the killing of the apostle, of the follower of Jesus named Stephen. He was there condoning it and even held the coats. Okay? And so now he's traveling around trying to find more people to persecute. So Acts 9.1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. They heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one else. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind, for three days and did not eat or drink. Now what happens next is Saul gives his life to Jesus. That he confesses Christ as Lord. A man named Ananias comes to visit him and he gets baptized. And then he begins to preach and go everywhere and preach the good news. Why do I tell you this? Because Saul was someone that didn't just sin. He pursued people to kill them if they were Christians. So I meet with people all the time and talk to them about Jesus, and I'll have people say, well, Pastor, I can never do that. You just don't know what I've done in my life. And I'll say to them, well, have you ever gotten a gun and gone from city to city finding Christians, hunting them down and killing them? And nobody's ever said yes, thankfully. <laughs> I said, then you need to know about Saul because Saul did just that. He went city to city, hunting Christians, throwing them in jail, advocating for their murder, and he is the one that God chose to write half the New Testament. Why did God do that? Because he wanted the world to know that nobody is too far from God. Folks, this is a place of grace. The Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. 
in this church, we have adulterers, we've ha- we have porn addicts, we have drug addicts, we have uh, alcohol addicts, we have people that have fornicated, people that have done pretty much every sin under under the stars, and that's just our staff alone. And I'm not joking. On our staff, we're all people that have fallen short of the glory of God and have called out for confession and forgiveness and mercy. And the Lord has forgiven us. There is no sin in this room that you have experienced that God cannot forgive. You need to know that. But you also need to know this. God does not advocate or encourage any sin. We are living in a day that wants to encourage sin, that wants to say that, hey, you can have sex with anybody, anything, anytime, as long as you're not hurting somebody else, it's fine. God says, no, that's called sexual immorality. The world says it's okay to objectify women and, and, and have pornography, and I, I just can't believe how many pornographic images are just shuttered out there all the time, and people talk about it like it's just like reading the newspaper. God values women. He created women. They are worth way more than being objectified just for their body. But the world doesn't want to call that sin. The world doesn't want to call homosexuality sin. The world doesn't want to call fornication sin. The world wants to just say nothing really is sin. And it's a lie intended by the devil to keep you chained up. To keep you chained up. Listen, I know how I was chained before I came to know Christ. I know that if I had bought the lie of today's world, that whatever I want to do as a young man, it's okay. As, as long as I don't get somebody pregnant, it's okay. It was a lie. God calls us to be holy as he is holy. And when he caught the woman in adultery, he didn't say to her, hey, it's okay. He said, go your way and sin no more. He also said, does anyone here condemn you? Neither do I. You see, it's a perfect balance that God offers of grace and forgiveness with truth and righteousness. And in the church, we have to walk that fine line. And it is so hard, but we must walk that fine line of grace and truth, love and righteousness. Well, I don't know what you battled in your life. Paul's issue was pride, anger, multiple others, I'm sure. Each one of us have carried sin in our life at one time or another that require forgiveness. I love what Jesus said. He who's been forgiven much loves much. And if you could just recognize how much you had to be forgiven of, you can begin to show that level of grace to all those around you. And love even the most difficult people because you realize they are pre-Jesus. Because when you find Jesus, that grace and that mercy and that hope, what does it say? It spreads out. It overflows out of us. I want to ask you today if you would stand with me. I want to give you an invitation today. For some of you today, you just need to come forward and talk to Jesus.
there's something that I'm preaching on and the Spirit of God convicted you. Maybe you've been okay with lying and cheating. Maybe you just said business is business. If I got to fudge the numbers a little bit, who cares? And the Spirit of God's convicting you. Maybe you've been living in sexual immorality and God has convicted you. Maybe you want to come and, and pray for friends and family members that you're broken for. Maybe you want to come and just lay it all at the altar and say, Lord, I, I need hope. If you just want to come talk to God about hope or whatever it is that's left side over here, you can come kneel and pray, and, and nobody's going to come pray with you. This is you to get along with God. Over here to the right side, the right altar, is if you want somebody to pray with you. Maybe you're walking through something. Maybe you want to pray and surrender all to Christ. One of our pastors, our deacons, our leaders will pray over you and pray with you. And I'll be down front if you want to pray and you want to give your life to Christ. I'd love to pray with you. And then in the back to my left, back in the corner is the prayer room. There's a husband and a wife team there that if there's something on your heart that you just really need to unpack, I invite you to go there and pray. As Eli plays for us, you be in the spirit of prayer, self-reflection, and if God's speaking to you, then take action, whatever that action is. If you don't feel like he is, then pray for those around you that the Spirit of God will love on them and shower them with that grace that we just talked about. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking us out online today. If you want more information about the church or things that's going on here, be sure to check out theriverCC.com or download our app and visit us there. Also, as we go through the Bible this year, we want to help keep you engaged on what's being read and talked about each week. To do that, we have a podcast called The Word This Week, which will recap each week's readings, as well as have special guests who will talk about what God showed them that week. So be sure to check that out on all podcast streaming platforms. And again, thanks so much for checking us out online.